I'd like to ask the rest of you to turn with me in your Bibles today to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And I mentioned to you last week we were kind of turning a corner. Um, after Paul lays this excellent foundation in chapter 1, focusing on Jesus Christ, and then in chapter 2 tackles the uh, philosophy of the false teachers head on and just uh, kind of gives the lie to their teaching and, and their ideas. Uh, and he's been somewhat negative in chapter 2, talking about what ought not to happen. Then in chapter 3, he comes all the way around and he begins to simply talk to the believers um, at Colossae and those other churches that were in the region He begins to just talk to them about what it is to live life in Jesus Christ. And he reminds them of who they are and what it is to to really live what we have come to call a spirit-filled life. The things that he begins saying in chapter 3 are very reminiscent of some other places like Romans where he clearly lays out uh, this whole uh, experience and teaching um, very theologically. Also in Galatians where he is directly combating uh, proponents of law keeping as a means of pleasing God. And he uh, just kind of hits the Judaizers head on in Galatians and talks about walking by the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. Ephesians, uh, he deals with spiritual warfare themes, but he talks about our position in Jesus Christ. All of those things uh, are kind of parallel with his message now to the Colossians that begins in chapter 3. And I'd like you to just look with me in whatever uh, translation you're using as I read these first four verses for us. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory." Now, in this paragraph, there are a couple of parallel thoughts that occur uh, twice within this section. And I'm going to kind of put them together as we talk about it this morning and look at them in, in the kind of the logical way that they occur, not necessarily uh, the way Paul has listed them here in the verses. First of all, he says, since therefore you have been raised with Christ. Now, if you're reading a New International Version, that's, uh, that's already been done for you. That point has already been made. In the New American Standard Bible that says, if then you have been raised with Christ. But the way that that's structured in the language, it presumes that this is true. Well, of course you have. Uh, based on this fact. Therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, there are things that should be true of you. So the NIV helps us out a little bit and says, since... You have been raised with Christ. And then he says a little later, a couple of verses down, verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul begins his discussion of life in Christ 
by taking us into the heavenlies where he says that we have already died and been raised and seated with Christ in that heavenly realm. And to be perfectly honest, for most people, this is a very difficult concept to wrap our heads around. Uh, You got out of a relatively normal bed this morning, unless yours is lumpy or in some other way uncomfortable, and you took a shower, bath, or whatever your process is for getting ready, and you put on clothes, and you're sitting here in this world in the flesh, and to the best of your recollection, you have not died recently. And you're still very much a person on this planet. But Paul is telling us we have died, and we have been raised, and our life is hidden with Christ in God. How does that work? There are two aspects to it that we need to kind of take into account. One of those is we need to, we need to get a God's eye view of this. We need to glimpse it from His perspective. The Scripture in several places refers to the beginning. We think of time as a linear sequence of events. And we explain it that way in terms of history. We put dates by which uh, when things occurred and we line them out on a timeline and we view time in that linear fashion. But when the Bible speaks of the beginning, it also indicates that God was already there. In other words, He's before the beginning. And when the Bible speaks of the end, it also indicates that God will go on. Whatever happens that culminates in the end, God is there also. And so, God is above time. Time is played out in linear fashion on this planet, but God still is overarching above it. And as far as God is concerned, the things that are unfolding in history and the things that happened in the past, in in one sense of the word, God sees those from an eternal perspective as though it was one moment or all accomplished altogether. I'm not making this very clear, am I? I'm muddying it up for myself. I need to rewind to the 8 o'clock service and say it the way I said it then, but I can't remember how I said it then. So you'll have to bear with me a little bit. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, He took your sins and mine. But we weren't born. We hadn't even committed sin yet. We didn't exist. But as far as God is concerned, as He looked down through human history, we did exist. In fact, if you have trusted Him as your Lord and Savior today, and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Scripture says God has already, had already written your name in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the earth. So way back then, God knew your name. He knew that you would come to faith in Christ. He called you to Himself. 
And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He took your sins and nailed them to that cross before you were born. And when He was buried, He took your fleshly, carnal nature and took it into the grave with Him. And when He came out of the grave and ascended and was seated at the right hand of the Father, because of your faith and trust in Him, God has put you in Jesus Christ and you were raised with Him and seated with Him where you exist today. You have already been raised with Jesus Christ. And when you embraced Him as your Lord and Savior, the Scripture says that moment you received eternal life. It's not something in the future. It's something you have now. That's why the Scripture says, Jesus said to Mary and Martha, if anyone lives and believes in me, he will never die because you already have eternal life. And the day that your body quits, you will not stop. You will go on in the presence of God. And so by faith, Paul wants us to understand that what Jesus did on the cross once for all, He did with us and for us. And we, as if we were living in that moment, we died with Him, we were buried with Him, and we were raised with Him. It's hard to wrap that, you know, wrap our heads around that, but it's a concept that the Scripture encourages us to take by faith, and as we say, take it to the bank. It's a, it's a done deal. That is who we are in Jesus Christ. Furthermore, it's more of a position than it is a location, and this may help a little bit. Because in Ephesians, Paul says that Jesus was raised up and seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly realm, and God has put everything under His feet. That is talking about the position of Jesus Christ relative to authority. In the heavenly realm, and concerning all the angelic hosts and all the powers of darkness and all the universe, for that matter, Everything has been placed under the feet of Jesus Christ. He is over it in authority. And He is seated at the right hand of God, which is also a position of authority. So it's not so much a location as it is a position. And this morning, as you sit here today, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been raised and seated with Him in the heavenly realm, read Ephesians chapter 2 when you get home to remind you of that. You've been raised and seated with Him. And you occupy in Christ the same position of authority. That is really important to to get get our hands on because... When we are oppressed of the enemy, when we are tempted, when we are uh, pushed toward fear and anxiety and worry and despair and, and life is filled with troubling circumstances and the enemy comes in like a flood, the Scripture says that we have a position of authority 
in the Lord Jesus Christ, far above all principalities and powers. And greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. And we have the authority in the name of Jesus Christ to address the devil and the powers of darkness and, and with our position in Christ to say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave. And by His blood and by His power, I have authority over you. Because we have been given that position. We have that authority. And so to be raised with Christ is already to be enjoying the blessings of that heavenly realm where Christ has lifted us up. And Paul goes on further to say that our life is hidden with Christ in God. It is our identity with Jesus Christ and our relationship to Him that makes pursuit of worldly interest, common, everyday stuff, not make sense. Because we have already been lifted out of this world system. And our life is hidden with Christ. Everything that is of significance and value to us, our meaning, our purpose, the fulfillment of the deepest longings of our soul are hidden with Christ in God. I want you to, if, if you will, to memorize that phrase and meditate on it this week. My life is hidden with Christ in God. My life is hidden with Christ in God. Will you say it with me? My life is hidden with Christ in God. When that really drills in to our consciousness... It does not make sense to look for fulfillment in the horizontal plane. Down here. Because my life is hidden with Christ in God. And all that will satisfy me is where He is. Not in this world system. Now... You've heard the statement that some people are so heavenly minded they're of no earthly use. You ever heard that? And sometimes I think when we think in these terms, we kind of get in our mind, okay, this is some weirdo, you know, this is, this is like a monk somewhere. They ought to be in a monastery, uh, doing Gregorian chants from morning till night or keeping a vow of silence or Maybe even sitting on a pillar somewhere in the desert, uh, you know, just meditating. You know, if, if we're going to be that heavenly minded that, that everything is there and I'm just kind of stuck here till I get there, then, and that's not at all what the scripture's saying. That's, that's, doesn't even come close to describing the Christian life, which is the life of Christ in me. That's the Christian life. And if you think about Jesus, one of the things that always 
kind of gets my attention when I think about Jesus the person, the man, walking on this planet. The only people that really could not relate to him were the religious fanatics. They were the only ones that he constantly ticked off. They were the only ones that never got it. But ordinary people were drawn to him. They they wanted to be around him. There was something about him that they wanted. And so, if you are like Christ in your life, then you may tick off the religious people, but the ordinary people should find you attractive. They should be drawn to you. A a person who is genuinely filled with the Spirit of God, uh, their humility, for one thing, precedes them everywhere they go. Their humility is the first thing that's noticed, which means there's no airs, there's, there's no facade, there's no games they're playing, there's no arrogance, there's no, uh, you know, I'm better than you. And by the way, friends, I don't know if you're aware of this, but however you feel is what you project, you can't hide it. If you think you're better than someone and that goes through your mind, they're going to pick it up. You can't hide that. It just comes out. Even if you never say a word, it leaks out. Humility is something that people sense. They know if you're approachable. They know if they can talk to you. They know if you're going to judge them. It just comes out of the pores of your skin. You can't hide it. And so if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ and you have His character, people will sense that you're approachable. They kind of pick up on that. People also know, and I've noticed this through the years, people know whether or not you love them. They intuitively sense that. They just know that. If you don't love people, if you're irritated by people, if they annoy you, if you wish they'd just go on and mind their own business and leave, people pick up on that. If you genuinely love them, from the heart, they know that. And so, when, when, when I'm talking about a life that is hidden with Christ in God, I'm not talking about a life that is than ever. It brings Jesus into the moment in ways that while they are supernatural and remarkable, they're not odd. People don't feel put off by you. Ultimately, they become offended by the message. So when we're talking about this life, we're not talking about a life that is just plain strange, as it is monkish strange. We're talking about a life that is intensely practical and very much grounded 
but that is not does life according to the world's value system. To see Christ to be hidden with Him is to find our true purpose and meaning in Jesus Christ. And before I leave the concept of being hidden with Christ in God, I just want to also underscore that it is a place of safety and refuge. You know, you look at the Psalms, and David is always talking about this. Uh, I'm hiding underneath his wings. I'm running into God who is a strong tower. I am taking refuge in God. I am hiding in his shelter. You know, this is, this is a warrior king talking. It was no pansy, okay? But he had a connection with God that he said he is refuge in him. Through his strength, I can run upon a troop, he said. He is the one who enables me to do mighty deeds of conquest. And in Him I take refuge. And to be hidden with Christ in God is a place of rest, a place of safety. It is a place of retreat, in a sense, where I can security and protection. I reminded our group at 8 o'clock this morning that Many people who come to Christ expect their life to improve in all kinds of ways that are tangible and material. I should have more money. I should have better health. I should have nicer things. Uh, They expect that they should have an easier time in life. Jesus said to his disciples, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. And he further underscored that by saying, if the world has hated me, it's going to hate you. Don't be surprised when people despise you. That shouldn't take you by, by surprise or catch you off guard. But he said, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So in Christ, there is a place of refuge and rest when life beats up on us. There's a place to go. We're already there. Our life is hidden with Christ. And and Paul kind of dramatizes this. I'm getting ahead of myself in the outline, but he dramatizes it by saying, when he comes, I will be revealed with him in glory. You know, there's where it kind of all comes together. Now, these things... You have been raised with Christ. Your life is hidden with Him. These are things that we must embrace by faith. God says that it's true. You may not understand it. You may not be able to to wrap your mind around a timeless God who sits over time. You may have difficulty envisioning how you could be... uh, there and here, but God says it's true. And by faith, we accept that reality. Now, Paul moves on. He says, since this is true, since you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, keep seeking the things above. Set your mind on things above where Christ is. 
In other words, because of our position, we need to have a different perspective and view of how we live this life. Both of these verbs are in the present tense. And essentially what that means is keep on seeking. Let it be your daily habit. Let it be your hourly habit. Let it be your moment-by-moment endeavor to set your mind to think about the things above, to see life from God's perspective. When the disciples asked Jesus, they said, Lord, we've kind of been watching you pray, and it's a little different than what we're used to, so would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus said, okay, I'm going to give you a sample. I'm going to give you a model. And here's how you should begin. Our Father, you who are in the heavens, all praise and glory and honor be to your name. So immediately Jesus said, when you start to pray, you need to look up. You need to look to God. You need to see Him. Recognize who He is. The Heavenly Father who is worthy of praise. Hallowed be thy name. And then, the first thing on your heart should be this. I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done on earth the way it's always done in heaven. In other words, Jesus said, when you pray, I want you to get a God's eye view of the situation. I want you to see the world from God's perspective. And to pray down from the throne, not up from the earth. I want you to see that viewpoint. And to recognize that God's will is always executed perfectly in heaven And to desire that that same kind of accomplishment be done on this planet that we see done in the heavens. That changes the whole way you view life. It changes your whole perspective. It brings you into a viewpoint of the issues that are going on down here to the perspective of looking from God's view in this direction. Set your mind on the things above. Let that be your worldview, your perspective. I want to read you a quote from Douglas uh, Moo in his commentary on Colossians. He says this, Paul is not saying so much that believers should seek to possess the things above as that they are to seek to orient themselves totally to these heavenly realities. We are not to strive for a heavenly status since that has already been freely given us in Christ. In other words, that's that's already who we are. Rather, we are to make the heavenly status the guidepost for all of our thinking and acting. And by using the present tense, Paul indicates that believers should be constantly occupied in striving for this orientation. He says, only here and in verse 2 does Paul use the phrase, the things above. And this is another way of referring to heaven, the abode of God, and the the sphere to which believers truly belong by virtue of their identification with Christ. Seek the things above. And this is what he says, 
by deliberately and daily committing ourselves to the values of the heavenly kingdom and living out of those values. Now, what does that mean? How does that look? How do we live a normal life? And I've told you it's not supposed to be weird. So how do we live a normal life with this heavenly perspective? Well, we need to recognize that God has a purpose and a plan. He has an agenda. He has an agenda for everything there is in life. There is nothing, no area of life that he is not interested in or that he does not wish to touch. Your will be done on earth the way it is in heaven. And now you are in the middle of that agenda right around you. You are... His, your life is hidden with Christ in God. You belong to Him. You may be married and you have a spouse. Perhaps you have children. Unless they've already gone on ahead of us, you most certainly have parents or you wouldn't be here. So you have family relationships. You have friendships. You, you probably work a job. You have hobbies. You have all kinds of things that flow through your life. In every one of those things, God has a plan. He has an agenda. There's something He wants to do. And your life, if it is, if you understand what it means for your life to be wrapped up in Him, then the issue becomes, Father, whatever your agenda is for my life today in all of these realms, I want to invite you to accomplish your purposes, your will, through me, as I live through these events, whatever they happen to be. And so it might look kind of like this as you pray in the morning. Perhaps you're married and, and you are thinking about your spouse and you say to God something like, Lord, I know that you love my spouse. I know that you have a plan for him or for her. I, I know that there are things you want to accomplish. In what ways do you want to use me in that process? I'm available to you. In the lives of my children, Lord, I know there are things that you want to accomplish. I'm going to be visiting with one of them today if they're out of the house. I'm going to be visiting with one of them today, and I want to invite you into that visit. What do you want to accomplish while we're together? Maybe you have a, maybe you have a block party. This is Memorial Day weekend. Maybe 
your neighborhood is having a block party and you've been invited, you have two choices, I guess. Uh, you can, well, I guess you have three. You could turn down the invitation because you're sanctified. You don't do block parties. That would be one choice. You will probably never be tempted in the party in that situation, and they will probably never hear about Jesus from you. But that's an option. Another option is you could go and be holier than thou and uh, put on your religious attitude and uh, basically uh, cause everybody to move away from you wherever you are. Or you could go as just a regular person, (laughs) wondering what God wants to do in the block party. Because he loves those people. What is his goal? Um, What does he want to accomplish? And how do I fit into that? And I had a conversation this week about, uh, this is going to sound weird. I don't know how to say it so it doesn't sound weird without explaining too many details. Anyway, I had a conversation. We were legitimately talking about another person. And the comment was made, it seems as though they see lost people as projects. That's a very distressing thought. If you see lost people as projects, do you know what they're going to think you see them as? Projects. You remember, you can't hide that. They're going to feel like a project. And who wants to be a project? Like, they need to be fixed somehow. And you're there to, to, to do your religious thing, to fix them. And that doesn't work. They can see that coming a mile away. You need to genuinely love them. And if you don't know how to do that, you need to get out of the way and let Jesus do it. Because He does it very well. He's really interested in them. He cares about what they care about. He's interested in their work. He's interested in their fun. He's interested in what makes them tick. He loves people. He loves them. If you don't know how to love people, let Jesus love them through you. Purpose to give Him free reign. And and love them. Because He does. And in every situation in your work, I I remember going to a seminar many years ago that Francis Schaeffer actually held in Nashville. It goes back probably 30 years. And in the course of that seminar, they were talking about what does it mean to be a Christian in the marketplace. And I will never forget a discussion that came up, and it went along these lines, What does it look like to be a Christian bricklayer? Does it mean that you have the sign of the fish on your business card and John 3.16 under your phone number? And then do you go out and shortcut the deals and use cheap materials and uh, gain unfair advantage every chance you get and uh, try to squeak things in under the 
rug that no one sees. What does it mean to be a Christian bricklayer? And, and the thought that was projected was, first of all, be a very good bricklayer. Do your job to the best of your talent and skill and ability. Give the person who's paying for your work a hundred percent of your effort as a bricklayer. That's another thing that, that amazes me. I, I worked in construction for a number of years, and every once in a while you get these people on the job that were sanctified, and they wanted to talk about Jesus all the time and get paid for it. They weren't getting paid to talk about Jesus. They were getting paid to drive nails. They needed to be driving nails. Talk about Jesus at the break time. It was just amazing how this warped sense of, of economy got woven in there somehow. The first thing to do is be very good at what you do. The second thing to do is to do it with integrity. To, to give what you promise, to do it to the best of your ability, to make a fair and reasonable profit in the market. And then when people see the way you work and the kind of quality you produce, they will be inclined to make comparisons. And not in every situation, but often they will say, why are you so different than all the other brands? And there is your platform from which to speak of your faith in Jesus Christ, because the Scripture says, work as if it were God Himself you were doing the job for. You know, that's just pretty clear. And, and we get kind of warped in our thinking, like, i got to take my Christianity as an extra piece of baggage to work. No, it is Christ in me, the hope of glory, in the midst of what I'm doing. And when I allow His agenda to be worked out, it's going to be worked out in that context. What do you do for a hobby? What do you like to do? What kind of trips your switch? When you have some free time, what do you like to do? God is not saying that you can't have fun. But the question is, when you're having fun, do you have it from a viewpoint that begins with a heavenly perspective? Lord, you've wired me this way. You've given me these interests. I enjoy this stuff. I have fun at it. What do you want to do with it? How do you want to use it? I'm available to you. And as I pursue this, let Jesus kind of just leak out of me. Whether it's sports or whether it's something you do off to the side or whatever it is that you're doing. Are you sufficiently transparent and focused on things above so that you're always conscious that God has a will, an agenda for this moment? And I want to be a part of what He's doing. I want to be attentive to His Spirit. If He prompts me to speak, I want to hear the words that He wants to say. If He tells me to shut up, I've talked enough. I want to be sensitive to close my mouth. If I see somebody at the party that's a wallflower over there, nobody's paying attention to... And maybe God wants me to go and befriend them and pull them in. What does God want to do? 
How does he want to act? That's what Paul means by set your mind on things above. You begin from the throne. You pray from the throne. Your perspective is from the throne. As you do life, living every day in the moment. Some people get so concerned about finding the will of God that they're virtually paralyzed. We were talking about this in our group Thursday night, and it just so happens that Thursday uh, I had to be in Glen Ellen, Wheaton area, and I had to leave my house at 7 o'clock in the morning to get down there. And from my house to the district office on Glen Ellen Road, there are a number of ways to go. I can go down 31, I can go 120 to 12 to 53 and get off at Lake Street. I can go through Island Lake and go that way, or I can kind of go through the woods and snake over to Miller Road, or I can go down Barrington Road. I mean, there's just all kind of ways I can get there. And some people get so hung up over, I've got to have, I've got to know the will of God, I've got to have the will of God before I can do anything, that they would sit in the driveway waiting for divine direction on which route to take. They're stuck. I see, I see believers that live like that. They can't operate until they've kind of gotten some direction and, and they're just virtually paralyzed. That's not what we're talking about. My life is committed to God. My day is committed to God. And when I woke up Thursday morning, I had something in mind that I was planning to do to get to Glen Ellen Road. I was going to go through Island Lake and Roberts Road and over to Miller, and that was my plan. And when I pulled out of the driveway, I didn't think anything else of it. I just planned to go that way. But I'm open to God. My life is submitted to His purposes. If He had prompted me If I had sensed the suggestion as I'm pulling out of my neighborhood, you might ought to go down 31 this morning. Fine, I'm I'm all good for that. I listen to those things. I try to pay attention. Because God is free to make corrections and directions. The point that I'm making here is, if you want to live the Spirit-controlled life, Don't sit here until you get the next command. Just turn your life over to God and do the next thing. How are you planning to live today? Are you going to go home and have lunch? What were you going to fix? Are people coming over? Do you have plans for the afternoon? Take your agenda and run with it. But submit your life to God. Make yourself available to Him. God has purposes and goals and objectives. There are things He wants to accomplish. Are you available to Him if He wants to make a course correction? If He wants to go with you into the agenda you've already laid out and speak through you and love through you and care about people, are you open to the will and agenda of God in the midst of your life? That's what Paul is talking about. Live your life out of that throne viewpoint. This is God's purpose for this moment. And I'm in it. For you have died, and your life is 
hidden with Christ and will be revealed in glory when he comes. We need to recognize that the power of sin has been broken. If you're struggling this morning, if you're battling with sin, if it's, if it's pushing at you, you know, some people have a hard time believing that Jesus was tempted at all points like we are, even though God says it's true. And then when they finally accept the words of Scripture, they kind of, then they kind of go to something like, well, yeah, but he, I mean, he was God and he just, I mean, he was just unassailable. He could, he could never uh, really know what I'm facing. Can you play a mental game with me for a moment? I want you to imagine that you're on a narrow path and there's a ditch on both sides that's steep. And, and there's an enemy, an assailant that meets you on the path and he begins to wrestle with you to push you over. Do you know when that battle ends? It ends when you fall in the ditch. As soon as you capitulate in the enemy's temptation and oppression, that's the end of the struggle. Now he sits down on the side of the road and laughs at you for being an idiot and tells you how stupid and foolish you are and how ugly and, and how God doesn't love you and you're such a goof up. And he, and, and, and he just has... But the temptation, you're already over the edge. But imagine what it's like to resist that until the devil gives up. Imagine the struggle. Imagine the battle. Imagine being pushed and being right on the threshold, but refusing to yield until finally Satan wears out. That's what Jesus did. He knows the battle better than you think. And he tells us that the power of sin has been broken. There is no temptation that will overtake you, but such as is common to all human experience. And every temptation that comes your way, God will make a way of escape so that you can endure it. Endure it. Withstand it. Stand your ground and refuse to be pushed over because God will make a way. You're dead, the Scripture says, to the flesh and, and the power of sin. You've died in Christ. The victory is attainable. It's within your grasp. It's yours if you'll but reach out for it. How do I make this happen? Well, I want to remind you this morning that there are some things you have to believe by faith. We must reckon ourselves to be dead to sin. We must choose. We must choose to set our mind on Christ Jesus where our true life abides. Now, when God says make a choice, He gives you the power to make the choice. This is not too hard. Set your mind on things above. There's a divine command of Scripture. This is not too hard. If you will choose to do that, you must make that decision in here. If you will choose, the Holy Spirit will make it possible. He will enable you. He gives the power. But you must make the choice. Will you choose 
to focus your attention on God's agenda, on the things above, where Christ is, where your life is hidden, your true purpose and meaning. Will you make that choice? Third, you must yield your life to Him with all of its activities that He might live through you. This means if you're going to have God's agenda in the moment, guess what? Your agenda has got to be off the table. They don't both fit. If you want God to do His amazing stuff, your agenda has got to go off the table. In every realm, in your work, in your marriage, in your family, in your hobbies, how you spend your money, how you save your money, in your time, in your abilities, Jesus has to be Lord of all. Are you willing this morning? To let God have His way in every one of these areas. Lord, I am here to do Your will on earth as it is in heaven. What do You want to do in my family, in my marriage, with my hobby, with my checkbook, with my work? What do You want to do? I submit to You. I yield it all to you. And if you are willing to take your agenda, which is the same thing as saying your will off the table, and allow God to exercise His, that's just another way of saying, let Jesus be the absolute Lord and Master of everything you do. People said last week, I want to know how to, how to be filled with the Spirit. I want to know how to live this victorious life. I want to know how to live without uh, rules and regulations and requirements and still stay on top of it and, and, and walk in a way that's pleasing to God. Well, here's the thing. Are you willing to entirely surrender your desires in every realm to Jesus Christ and subordinate them to His Lordship and invite Him to control every aspect of your life. If you are willing to do that, you can ask Him to fill you with His Spirit. Fill with the Spirit, <laughs> that means influence and control. Lord, I want to be not self-guided, but spirit-guided. Now, I've tried to give you some examples this morning, but I, I just want to remind you again. Put God to the test here. Because He will not let you down. Put God to the test. Invite the Holy Spirit... So, something like this, God, I want to live a miraculous life. I really do. I, I want to see what you do when I'm out of the way and you're in control. So I purpose to submit my will to yours in everything. And, and I ask you to fill me with your spirit. 
and just simply guide me. Just, just tell me what to just talk to me. And whatever you say, whatever you say, I will agree to do it if you will give me the power. See, God is not asking you to do something that's too hard. Because anything he tells you to do or anything he tells you not to do, he will give you the power, but he needs your consent. Does that make sense? The only, the only part you have in this whole equation is, yes, Lord, if you agree, yes, Lord, he will tell you. So here, so put him to the test. Just give him the rest of your day. Give him the rest of your life, but start with today. Just give him the rest of your day. Lord, today, today. I, I have plans for today, and I'm planning to do those plans. Unless you tell me otherwise, I'm going to just go do what's on my schedule. But I want you to know you are the Lord and Master. So if you want anything else, whatever you say, I'll do. As I go about this, if I don't hear anything different, wherever I am, I will do what you tell me to do. I will follow the leading of your spirit. God will direct you. He's not going to leave you out there hanging. He will direct you. Put him to the test. And see if he will not guide you. And every time you say yes to him, it only strengthens the bond of your fellowship with Jesus Christ. And you will begin to see God do amazing things through you. And you don't have to, somebody asked me from last week, does that mean we don't have to keep the Ten Commandments? <laughs> well, not really. What it means is you don't have to worry about the Ten Commandments. If you do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do, you will be keeping the Ten Commandments. So, you know, if you read the Bible and you find that what you're doing doesn't square with what it says, all I can say is you're not yielded to the Spirit there. So just yield. Let Him do it. And He will put into the test. Father, Right now, as we bow in your presence, there are people in this room who are hungry to be spirit-filled. They are hungry to be led by the Spirit. And right now, I want to ask you to give them the courage and the grace to put all of their own goals and agenda on the altar. And I want to ask you, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, to give them the courage and the grace to choose a mindset on heavenly things and to live under the control of your Holy Spirit. And for everyone who right now is doing business with you along these lines, give them the faith to ask you to be filled with your spirit and to believe that you will keep your word.
fill them now. Fill them to overflowing. Lord, live in them in such a powerful way that they will be amazed at the things you do. May they live their lives simply, simply by listening to your Spirit whenever he speaks and agreeing to do whatever he says, knowing that they will always be true to the heavenly calling if they do that. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.